junior year of high school, our, our men and women, both of their basketball team were really good. They both um, made it to the state playoffs that year. And me and my friends, we always made it a point to go to the games just because it was our friends that were playing and so we wanted to be a part of it. And we kind of had this idea my junior year that we wanted to take it to a new level. And so we thought, what if we like, didn't just show up at the games and sit on the bleachers, what if we like, dressed up in different themes? And, and it just kind of brought some, some energy to the, to, to, the, to the crowd. And so, you know, I remember, I think it was our very first time we dressed up. We dressed up as WWE wrestlers. And I don't know what it's called now. It was WWF back then, but I was the ultimate warrior. Any of you guys ultimate warrior fans and had my face painted, you know? And so we did wrestling one week. One week we did, we did kiss. And so we actually had our art teacher paint our faces so that we could look like, you know, Gene Simmons and, and kiss. We dressed up as Smurfs and lunch ladies and, and all these fun things. But my favorite um, time that we dressed up, we dressed up as Eminem, not the candy, but Slim Shady. And... And I remember telling my mom, like, it was Friday night. I'm like, hey, we're spending the night at our friend's house. Things are going to get crazy tonight. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we're all dyeing our hair white. And she's like, you're definitely not doing that. Like, she's like, she's like, you can't. I'm like, mom, you don't understand. Like, we're in the playoffs. Like, I have to do this. This is like the epitome. We've already talked to the announcers. They're going to show, they're going to play our walk-in music to the basketball game. Like, I'm the real shadiest. I'm the slim shade. And, and, and so... I remember we, we did it on Friday night and she didn't tell me not to. She just was like not a fan of it. So I come in Saturday morning and my hair was completely white. And, and I'll never forget that moment because my mom looks at me and she just instantly starts crying. And she walks up the stairs. Oh, don't feel sorry for her. She's angry. She's angry at me. And she, this, these were her words. The, what are the old ladies at church going to think about you knowing that you dressed up as Eminem? And the ironic part is I go to church the next morning with white hair and all the old ladies loved it because my hair was the same color as their hair. And they're like, love your hair. And so anyway, we, we, we made it this, this point to, to dress up for all these games. And the whole point was just to cheer and, and to heckle the other team and to give the refs a hard time. This was before my extreme sanctification came. And <laughs> And, and we realized that it wasn't about us. Like, it was about fun, but it was for something much bigger than us. Like, we didn't just play dress up and put on costumes and hang out in our house. I mean, it was, it was for our team. It was for, for our school. And there was this beauty because, like, anyone could participate. The only prerequisite was that you, were just, you had to be willing to look a little silly and to be all in. You know, I love Acts chapter two. I love this picture, man, this description of the earliest followers of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but what Christy just read, it is so inspiring, so beautiful what God was doing in the lives of, of these early Christians. And I don't know about you, but I'm drawn to this. I want this for my life. I want this for our community. I want this for Nashville. And you see what was happening is, is that these people, they understood that they were living for something beyond them. It wasn't just about them having a great church experience. It wasn't just about them getting together and, and feeling close, man. It was, it was about something beyond them, and that something was Jesus. You see, they understood that, man, that, that their life was best lived when it was lived beyond themselves. And the beauty is that, man, every person grasps that they could participate, that they were wanted, that they were needed. That all people had to do to be a part of this community was just be all in. You know, we've been in a series through the book of Acts where we're just literally just kind of walking through the book and the, the history of the church from the very beginning, from its roots. And, and if you don't know, if you haven't been with us, if, if you're new to, to our church, if you're new to, to Acts, 
Jesus Christ died. He rose three days later from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He told his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is going to be given to you, not just for a visit, but to inhabit you. And so the the disciples are obeying Jesus. And 10 days later, as they're praying, as they're waiting, Jesus kept his word like Jesus always does. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on every single man, on every single woman that was waiting on him. And then the Spirit, there's some amazing extraordinary ways enables God's people to start speaking in different languages, languages they didn't study, languages they didn't know. Crowds are drawn to this spectacle. They are hearing their own language being spoken. And Peter stands up and essentially he just says to them, Jesus Christ is God. He is is God in the flesh. And yet you have treated him and you've acted like he is so much less than that. And it says that on that day, people were cut to their heart on how they treated Jesus. It says that they turned to God. And on that day, 3,000 people, they didn't want to be Jesus' enemy anymore. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to know him. 3,000 people responded in baptism. And where we begin today is we look at the day, the day after. So what they do after they, they give their lives to Jesus, after this mass revival, this, the beginning of the church where the Holy Spirit's poured out and the people of God are, are, are becoming alive in God, what did they do? What did they turn their hearts to? And before we get into to the, the practical, because I know so often what we want to do is, is we see this. And if you're like me, you're drawn to this. Like you don't come here this morning if God's not doing something in your heart. And so my guess is that you're going, man, let's, let's be more for God. Let's, let's know God more fully. Amen from the train. Let's walk with, let's walk with God. But before we, we get into that, I want us to, to see something deeper than that. I want us to see what God was doing. Not just what we're called to do, but what, what was God doing in the life of this community? You know, the reality is that when you and I, when we have a fresh encounter with Jesus, we have a fresh encounter with his grace, when his mercy, when his forgiveness watches over us, when we, when we taste his love, when we experience the Holy Spirit, when we understand that, that God who holds the world in his hands, who holds our lives in his hands, when we experience that God, it is so normal the way that they respond. It's not extraordinary. It's, it's completely ordinary. Like, this is what happens when you come face to face with God. And you understand how loved you are, Lana and how loved you are, Catherine, how loved you are, Drew. So this is what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That word devoted really stood out to me this week. You know, being devoted to something is simply making the choice. When I was in college, I went to visit one of my friend's families. We were in West Tennessee. I remember it was on a Friday afternoon and we were hanging out in the kitchen and I noticed that she had a, a vase of flowers in her kitchen. I'm like, oh, those are so pretty. Where'd you get those? And she said, my husband brings me flowers every Friday. And I realized, oh, he just made the choice to do that. Like that was just a part of his, his routine. Like, yeah, go to work. And before I get home, stop and get my wife. Like he was devoted to her. Just, he made the choice. You know, what does that look like? We're devoted to to things that we might not even recognize, right? You're trying to be devoted to eating healthy. And what does that look like? Well, it means you have the choice between Hattie B's or the Urban Juicer, right? And you all want Hattie B's, but you choose Urban Juicer, right? You just make the choice, right? You're you're, you're devoted to being more social. What does that look like? It means that, that you just make the choice to spending less time by yourself, 
And you say yes to opportunities that come up. Being devoted is simply just choosing and it's choosing it over and over and over again. It says that that these Christians who had been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that they were choosing. What were they choosing? They were choosing to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we hear that and we're going, "What, what is that? It's Jesus's sermons. I love this quote from Scripture, Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. This is what Jesus said. He said to the, the disciples, what is, worship, or what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. And that's what they were doing, that, that they'd been learning from Jesus. They'd been observing Jesus. They'd been sitting, watching him preach and, 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 and spending time in those quiet places, soaking up his words, his, his message. And so when, when Christ ascends to heaven, they have the opportunity to start preaching. What were they preaching? They were preaching Jesus. They were preaching the things that they had heard and seen Jesus do for us. What is that? It's the New Testament. It's documentation of what Jesus said. This was the contents of his sermon. This is his life. And I love what happened because these people are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what did they do? They devoted themselves to the scripture. But below that, here's what they were doing. They turned to Jesus because they wanted to know from Jesus himself how they should live. They wanted to know from Jesus what he wanted their lives to look like. I go, you don't read the scriptures this way. You don't devote yourself to the the, the apostles' teaching unless you really want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Think about this. Who do we look to and listen to for how to live? Is it our favorite podcast? Is it our favorite author? Maybe it's even ourself. I don't have anything against podcasts and books, but, but I wanna challenge us. Who has the loudest voice in our lives? Who has the most important voice in our life? Who's the one that's actually shaping our lives? Who do we give more weight to their words? If we have a chance to to listen to to a podcast or, or to read a book about someone's opinion or interpretation or philosophy, do we choose that instead of coming to him and saying, God, what do you desire for me? Or is he more like a supplement to our diet, like a vitamin? that we go and we listen to what we want to be told, what we want to hear. And then it's like, yeah, we'll read a little. There was a devotion, a hunger for Jesus, for what he wanted, for his will. It's not that podcasts and books, there's nothing wrong with those. I listen to them, I read them. I'm not on the hate train. Some of them are incredibly helpful. But I want us to see this at the, at the core of who they were. They were choosing Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. You know, this is a dynamic word in the, the original language. We think of fellowship. You think about, you know, hanging out with your friends. You think about just getting together and talking about the, your favorite TV show or watching March Madness. Like we think about bro time or girl time, whatever that looks like for you. And, and that's a part of fellowship. But it's so much more. It's what he's describing is this close mutual relationship where where everyone is contributing, where everyone is participating, where everyone is sharing. It's it's this idea that, that when you get together, when the people of God get together, the walls of our heart, the walls around our heart, they come down. That we come together and we're not hiding, we're not pretending, we're not putting spiritual makeup on. 
that you know each other. You know each other's fears and struggles and pains and sin and strengths and gifts and weaknesses, and you love each other knowing all those things. It says that every day they continued to meet together. And hear this, they were just choosing to be together. I'm not saying we never need alone time. Jesus practiced that. He modeled that. It's, it's a biblical idea. Mark chapter one, verse 35, Jesus got up early in the morning. He got away from everyone to go to a solitary place to pray. It's a biblical thing to have alone time. I challenge you to think about how you're spending your alone time. That might not be biblical. But I'm talking about this. They, they chose fellowship. They chose to be together. For us to, to, to choose to be here on Sunday. Man, no one's gonna make you be here. And honestly, it's like you, you go a long season without going and you kind of forget, like, do I even need this? Right, that's what is, that so easily happens. Right, to, to be people who choose house church, to, to choose smaller settings, to make the choice to be present, right? And things come up, right? People get sick, accidents happen, things that, that keep us from, from coming together and being together. I'm not saying that, that we need to always just be people that lay everything else aside like for, for this, like stuff comes up. But, but, but I wanna give you a, a quick illustration to, to kind of help us see, I think, what he was getting at. You know, I remember talking to Kimberlyn Perkins. I don't know where Kimberlyn is. At the very first night of, of the, the fast where we were at the Ryman together and Kimberlyn was laying in the back at the Ryman her head was hurting, her back was hurting. And Justin and I, Justin as her husband, we were sitting back, back there talking and, and she was saying, for, I've had debilitating migraines and my back has hurt for so long. And she said, it's crazy how often it happens on Sunday mornings where, where it'll be the worst then. And for a long time, I just thought, man, I'm just, I'm not gonna go to church. And then she realized, she said, no, nothing is gonna keep me from being with God and God's people. I don't care how bad the head hurts. I don't care how bad my, my, my back hurts. I want to be with God's people in God's presence. And I'm going, that's what's happening here. That people understood that, man, we were made to be communal people. We were made to live life together. And we have to choose that. Every day they chose to be together. And not just the people that, that we like being around. That's not noble of us. <laughs> Not just people who you like and who, who think like you and who agree with you on everything. No, right, this is what happens, man. We, we insulate and we isolate and we exclude and we will never be an Acts 2 church if we live like that. And I think what the early church was discovering is that, is that they were choosing to be contributors over consumers. Right, there's a reason maybe that, that so often you don't like being at church or being at house church. And that reason is because you're not getting what you need. See, it's, a, it's, a, it's about, you come into those things thinking, man, it's about, hey, are people here to serve me? Am I getting what I need? Are you meeting my needs? Right, and I think what the early church was discovering, it's not about what you're getting, it's about what you're giving. And when you come in with this mindset of, of, of giving of yourself, what you find is that you always receive, that God has this way of always taking care of you. I was up in prayer gathering a couple months ago and I was talking to this girl and, and I remember she was saying, she's like, you know, I, I, 
I come to prayer gathering and she's like, I can pray anytime. I've got all week to pray. I come up here because I know that there are people who need my prayers. And I'm like, wow, what, what are you, who are you? You get it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And this is eating meals together. But beyond that, it's having meaningful, Christ-centered conversation. It says that they broke bread in verse 30, 46 and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And let's not overcomplicate this. They had a culture of hospitality, a culture of invitation. They were leaning into what it means to be a family. This is what you do as a family, right? You, you eat together. And they understood it wasn't just about biological family, spiritual family. For us, man, how, how do we live into this? And I see us doing this. I see you inviting people to go to lunch with you on Sundays, going out of your way to, to meet new people and to, to welcome them into your house church. You invite them over to dinner. I mean, people have invited Courtney and I over to dinner and our kids and from, from college all the way to where we are right now, there's something about just that spirit that, that does rest in our church. And I wanna encourage us, let's keep taking steps in that direction. College students, invite people to go eat in the cafeteria with you. People are not gonna turn down a free meal. Seriously, but you have to be assertive. You have to, you have to invite people. If you have an apartment, if you have a home, invite people into your home. Experience the joy of, of serving people and, and the delight of, of cooking for people beyond yourself. And your conversation might not be just the most meaningful, like Holy Spirit falling, but I'm telling you, when you make a deposit into, into to breaking bread together, God is working in that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves the fellowship, they devoted themselves to breaking bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. You know, I'm convinced the more we learn to talk to God together and not just talk about God, but talk to God, the more joy, the more courage, the more encouragement we'll have. I challenge us to, to try this tomorrow. And so if, if you're gonna to pray and fast with us, hey, don't just do that by yourself. Find someone in this room. And if, if you can get together with someone in this room tomorrow to pray, do it. If you can't do that, if your schedule doesn't allow, call somebody. You all have a phone. Some of you have two phones. Some of you have three phones. It's ridiculous. You have your personal phone, your work phone, right? And, and just call somebody. And I challenge you to, to pray for 20 minutes. You're like, 20 minutes? What are we gonna pray about? Call someone and just try it. What do you pray about? Tell God what you're thankful for. You take a turn. Just tell God what you're thankful for. Confess your sin. You're like, yeah, but what if they judge me? They're not gonna judge you. It's gonna bring freedom for you to confess sin. It always works that way. You're scared to share, but when you share, the other person finds courage to share and freedom comes for all. Confess your sin. Ask God for help. So thank God, confess your sin, ask God for help for things that you need in your life and just pray. And if you pray for 10 minutes and you have nothing else to pray, sit in awkward silence for 10 minutes. <laughs> Seriously, let God speak. Just listen. And let's discover that if, if there really is something about being devoted to communal prayer that, that could impact our community. And so I love what you see happening here in these 
early believers that as the spirit was working inside of them, look what God was doing beyond them. It wasn't just about their being devoted and right. They, they were choosing scripture. They were choosing each other. They were choosing to spend time together. They were choosing to pray, to include God in their conversation and, and look at what God was doing through them. In verse 43, it says that, that there were signs and wonders. I can't wait for us to keep journeying through the book of Acts and, and to take a good hard look at some of the mysterious supernatural work of God things that God is still doing today. A couple years ago, we had a healing service here at Marathon. And I know that some of you guys are here. And, and in that moment, you experienced complete physical healing. God still works in mysterious, miraculous ways. So often we just don't ask, so we don't see. Signs and wonders says that, that they were flowing, the supernatural work of God, not just a few, but many. That the spirit of God was, was unlocking and unleashing people in, in amazing ways. The spirit of God was moving. The spirit of God is moving in the same way today. Look what God was doing through them. There were signs and wonders. There was generosity. I love verse 44 and 45. It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. He's not talking about, man, they, they had all the, the, the similar interests and, and they all talked alike and thought alike. No, he's using verse 44 to set up verse 45, that, that here's what they had in common, their resources. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. And here's what's so beautiful about this community is that they were willing to offer what they had to meet others' needs. What's going on there? They valued people more than they value their own stuff more than their bank accounts, more than their retirement accounts. They valued people. And I've seen this in, in our church. I've seen incredible generosity. Every November on our birthday, we take up an offering and we, and we give it to, to, to advance the, the work of God somewhere around the globe. And for the past few years, we've, we've given to India and Nana and I got to go to India and Brooks and several other, you guys have been able to go, Dolly's been before and, 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 and we've got to go to India. And, and what's so crazy is that you go to a, a place like that and you discover their stories. You know, tomorrow we're going we're gonna to hopefully, you're, you're going to choose to fast, to give up food for a time. Do you realize that there are people all over the world who are fasting and it's not because they get the choice to, it's because they don't have anything in their pantry, they don't have anything to eat that day. And you, because of your generosity, like you go, man, I can, I can set this thing aside or, or I can give this away to, to advance, to, to feed hungry kids and to advance the gospel in a place that I will never see. And I've seen this generosity. But I wonder if there's more. You know, there, is, there always will be needs around us. Always. You know, Courtney and I sponsor a kid through World Vision. Like every month they're saying, hey, there's another need. There's another need. There's another, like there's always things that we could give to them. And so often we, 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 we just choose at some point to go, no, I don't want to give anymore. You see, the early church, they understood that it wasn't someone else's job to meet needs. It was, it was their joy. 
Like, have you ever really sacrificed, like set aside something that, that you loved? Have you ever sold it? Have you ever made a hard sacrifice of something that you wanted purely for the good of someone else? It is so joyful. It is so freeing to get to be a part of, of, of meeting other people's needs. I mean, like, it, it's just a, a, a joy. I remember like this, this time I was going home from work one day and there's this person that flat tire on the side of the road and they barely spoke English. And I realized if I don't help this person, they're in a lot of trouble. So I called court and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna be late coming home. I gotta help this person. And in that moment, I'm not going, hey, who can, who can take care of this so that I can go about my life? No, there's a joy when God gives you opportunities to meet real needs. It's so much better than just watching out for yourself. And I go, I wonder what happens when this permeates us. And we are a generous people. But I wonder the joy that awaits us when we go, man, God, we've got more to give. <laughs> Look what God was doing among them, signs and wonders, generosity. They were praising God. I love this in verse 47. They were praising God. Is, is that our lives? Is God doing that in us? Or do we care what the person beside us thinks about our voice? Or do we care what our spouse thinks? Or we care what our kids think? What is hindering us from, from worshiping God? Do you realize that, that, that you praise the thing that you love the most? Maybe it's yourself, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's your job. You praise that thing, you think about it, you give everything to it. And I go, what does it look like to spend our lives praising God? Just set your heart's affection on God. Turn the eyes of your heart and, and think about what God has done for you, Brian. The fact that you're a sinner, but because of Christ, you're forgiven. Think about what he did for you on the cross, Danielle. And Sherry, think about what he did for you, Emily. And when we turn our eyes, when we, when we set our eyes on King Jesus, when we set our eyes on our Heavenly Father, when we set our eyes on the Holy Spirit, man, this praise starts to come out. You start to realize, man, I, I have a sinner. I have walked all over Jesus. I've treated him like he's my servant instead of my Lord. And because he's died for us, man, when you think about that, this praise erupts inside of you. Man, that you, that you learn to praise when, when, when you're driving in your car. You learn to praise when you're going on a run. You learn to, to praise when you come in here and you don't care what the person beside you thinks about you're singing because you're not singing for anyone else's enjoyment or entertainment. You're singing because of the one who has saved you. You're praising God. And I love that this last thing that we see God doing through this community beyond themselves, that God was saving people. Verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I want us to see this because it's, it's what God was doing. Only God can save a soul. And my question for us is, here in Southern comfortable Christianity, here in like kind of the heart, the belt buckle of, of Nashville, do, do we want this? Like, do we actually want God to save people? Or do we just want a really awesome kind of worship experience? Get to meet in a cool venue. Do we want God to save people? Do we need, do we believe that people need to be saved? 
Do we believe that we need to be saved? I love Psalm chapter two, verse 12. It says, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction. Do you realize that God sent his son Jesus to be crucified for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could dwell in his presence forever? We cannot experience that without Jesus. Jesus alone clears our sin. Jesus alone clears our consciences. He puts a new heart in us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and he promises that we will have eternal life with him forever. John 3, verses 16 through 18 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, will have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, for whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but listen to this, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I go, do we actually believe that about people? Or do we live in such a coexisting culture? Hey, you do your thing, I'll do mine. You don't impose on me, I won't impose on you. Or do we go, no, people need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need his salvation. We need the satisfaction. We need the fulfillment that Jesus Christ alone brings to a heart. We need Jesus. Our city needs Jesus. My question is, do we want to be a part of something like this? Do we long to see God move among us? Like, do we want to see the signs and wonders? Do we want our coworkers, when they think about Christians, when they think about our church, to go, man, you guys are crazy, but you are unbelievably generous. And you care about the poor in our city. You care about this poor all over the world. And when people hear us, do we, do we want them to, to, to think about Man, people are coming to know the Lord through your church. Do we want that? Do you want that? What happens when each of us makes a choice to go all in, to be a part of a community that exists for something way beyond us, to not be okay with the status quo the spiritual self. What happens? We come alive. We come alive. We're going to take communion here in just a minute. We take a piece of bread and drink a cup of juice every week to remember Christ, him crucified, him risen from the dead, to remind ourselves that he alone sitting on the throne. It's not us. It's not our spouse. It's not our boss. Jesus alone's on the throne. And as we take communion, I want to invite you, if, if you come here this morning and, and you're not a believer, hey, come back. Like if, if you're serious about searching for, hey, is there a God? Does this God love me? You will find God if you'll keep coming here. Same way, like if, if you want to get in shape, the best thing to do, keep going to the gym, keep getting on that treadmill. Your heart will get healthy. You will encounter God in this place. Keep coming. If you come here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, but, but the Lord's cutting you to the heart, you're going, man, Jesus is the only way and I want to give my life to him and I don't want to be his enemy. I don't want to live in rebellion. I want to give my life to him. Do that today. There'll be some men and women at the respond banner in the back. We'd love to talk. We'd love to help you. If you come here this morning, you just need some prayer. The enemy's got you shackled down. 
You're hurting, you're going through something, come let us pray for you. Let God bring freedom. If you come here this morning and, and you're a follower of Jesus and, 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 and you're ready to take communion, I want to encourage you to, to, as you're taking the bread and drinking the cup, to get in groups of two or three or four and answer this question. What is the Spirit of God saying to you today? And what are you going to do about it? What is the Spirit of God saying to you today? What stood out to you from his word? What was God speaking? What impressed you? What was that thing that just bothered you that you're like, oh, I wish he wouldn't have said that or I wish that wasn't there. It's probably the Lord. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you gonna do about it? I'm gonna pray for us. Invite us to stand. As soon as I get done praying, we'll go take communion. God, thank you for these men and these women. God, if I said anything that's not from you, that was from impure motives, if there's anything that, yeah, just wasn't from your heart. Let that be forgotten. And God, I pray that the things that are from you, from your word, God, from, from your throne into our hearts, God, would you let those things stay? Would you bear fruit? Would you, would you alone just remove the weeds and the distractions from our heart and our lives so that we can follow and listen to you alone? And so God, meet us as we break the bread the same way you did in Luke 24. Open our eyes and our hearts to see you, to hear you, to feel you, God. Forgive us of our sins. We are a forgetful people. Descend in this place in your glory, for your glory and our good. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen.